0: invite you to open with me now to the uh, book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 6. Uh, Our text today is verses 9 through 11, Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Uh, Last week we considered the first eight verses of this chapter and the opening of the first four out of the seven seals. Of course, this scroll that is sealed with seven seals, represents the plan and the purposes of God for this entire world. Uh, It is that which centers in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Indeed, you'll recall out of chapter 5 that only the Lamb who was slain was worthy to open this scroll and its seven seals. And then last week, we saw the first four of those seals opened and with the opening of each of those seals, there was a different horse and its rider. Uh, the first was a white horse and its rider, uh, which represented a conqueror. Uh, second was a red horse and its rider, which represented bloodshed and warfare. Uh, the third was a black horse and its rider, which represented Uh, famine, and poverty. Uh, The fourth was a pale horse and its rider which represented death. And each one of these horses showed various forms of suffering and tribulation which would come upon the entire world. And it teaches us that many of the forms of suffering that we continue to experience throughout the world today, which believer and unbeliever alike experience, are those which are part of the plan and the purposes of Almighty God. And it is in the midst of a world like this that the Lord Himself is triumphing uh, and is conquering. Well, we come today to the fifth of these seals. We're going to spend our entire sermon on this fifth seal. It's found in these three verses that we're about to read out of Revelation chapter 6. Let's now turn attention to God's Word, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. This ends this reading in God's Word. Let's now look again to the Lord uh, in prayer. Lord, our uh, God in heaven, we uh, do praise you and thank you for Uh, the abundance of your mercy and grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you, O Lord, that the blood of the martyrs is blood which is not shed in vain. And We pray, O Lord, our God, that you would reveal to us today uh, your goodness and your glory and the victory that you provide those, uh, for those who shed their blood for Christ's sake. And above all, O oh Lord, press upon each one of us our responsibility to take seriously our commitment to Jesus Christ in this world. O oh Lord, our God, speak to us now through the preaching of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. I'd only been a pastor for about a year when I attended my first pastor's conference um, in Montville, New Jersey. At this pastor's conference, I met uh, an older pastor and his wife, who had been serving uh, for quite a number of years in a country uh, that is uh, a Muslim-dominated country, uh, and he had been serving as a pastor in that, uh, in that place, and the Lord in His grace had established and built a small uh, church. There was a small flock of believers that he had faithfully uh, ministered to. I just remember being struck by the, the grace and the wisdom, the godliness of this man, um, whom I'm not going to name his name for the sake of those who are uh, currently part of that church in this uh, country. Um, Well, later that year, I got news um, that this particular man and his wife had both been brutally murdered. Uh, They'd been murdered, actually, by a former church member who had become disaffected by his ministry and had departed uh, from the faith and uh, murdered this man and his wife. He's the first martyr for the Christian faith that I've ever known uh, personally. I remember just being struck by it the following year at the pastor's conference. There was a kind of memorial uh, service uh, for, this, uh, for this couple. I remember thinking, here was a godly man who, at risk of his own life with his wife, served Jesus Christ, knowing the danger that there was serving Christ in this place, and they willingly gave their lives in the service of Jesus Well, what happened with this particular uh, Christian couple is something that has happened to thousands upon thousands throughout Christian history. They have been martyrs for the sake of uh, the gospel. And that's what this passage addresses today. In the book of Revelation, which deals again with God's grand and glorious purposes throughout the world, he has these verses in which is expressed something of the condition of those who are martyrs for the sake of uh, the gospel. I'm going to want us to explore uh, this uh, particular fifth seal today, really under three different headings. Um, Whenever you study a passage, sometimes you study it in the natural divisions. As a preacher, the natural divisions of the passage kind of open up. And uh, you think this is the direction that you're going to go, and then you read a commentary and you find that somebody else has divided the text in exactly uh, the same way that you have, and that's the case uh, today. And so the headings that I have are exactly the same as Rick Phillips happens to have in his commentary uh, as well, but I do think that they are the best, uh, best way to divide this passage up. Uh, we're going to consider, first of all, out of verse 9, the martyr's cause, uh, secondly, out of verse 10, the martyr's cry, and thirdly, out of verse 11, the martyr's condition. Uh, The martyr's cause, the martyr's cry, and the martyr's condition. First of all, out of verse 9, the martyr's cause. Uh, We're told in verse 9 that when he, that is the Lamb, who alone is worthy to open the seals, when he opened the fifth seal, he then saw, or John saw, and what he saw here was not a horseman, as he saw with the opening of the previous four seals, but rather what he saw here was under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. What he saw here were those who, as Christians, had been oppressed and killed for their adherence, to Jesus Christ. He saw martyrs now glorified in heaven. Now this word martyr is a word which comes simply from the Greek word which means witness. And that indicates what martyrs really are. Martyrs are those who bear witness or who bear testimony to who Jesus is And they are willing to maintain that testimony concerning Jesus, even at the cost of their own lives. That's exactly what verse 9 describes them as. These are those who had been slain for what purpose or for what reason? It was because they held to the word of God and they bore witness uh, to this gospel. And so martyrs are those who believe the truth of God's Word, and they are willing to tell others about Jesus Christ, even in environments where such witness is unwelcome. And when their lives are threatened, they do not deny the faith, they do not waver in their testimony, but instead, if they are called to do it, they are willing to even give up their own lives for lives for the sake of Jesus Christ that's what a martyr is and here the souls of these martyrs are described as being under the altar now, you have to remember that this is a symbolic language like much of uh, revelation there is no literal temple or literal altar in heaven okay you can see revelation 21:22 or Really, the entire book of Hebrews for why uh, we now no longer have an altar, because Christ Himself has fulfilled uh, that work. Okay? God Himself is present in heaven. Christ's atoning blood makes the offering of continued sacrifices unnecessary. But then, why then, you might describe, ask, why then, symbolically, are the souls of the martyrs described as being under the altar? Well, I think it's for this reason, that when sacrifices were made in the Old Testament, uh, the blood of those sacrificial animals streamed down the side of the altar and kind of collected at the base of the altar. Leviticus 17.11 tells us that the life of the flesh is in the blood. So their souls beneath the altar, described in verse 9, are speaking, really, of the blood which they shed for the sake of Jesus Christ. That even as Christ was sacrificed for us, so Christians, because of our union with Jesus Christ, are often called to give our lives for Him. And so it's a kind of sacrificial offering uh, to the Lord. Now it's of course Christ's death which makes atonement. These deaths are not atoning in any way. But nonetheless, even as Christ gave his life for us, we, following his example, are to give our lives in his service. And that's what these martyrs literally did. They were willing to go to death for the sake of Jesus Christ, as their, as it were, as their sacrificial offering of worship to him. They were willing, even at the cost of their lives, uh, to bear testimony unto Jesus Christ. Now, it is the case that only some Christians, even a small minority of Christians, have had to die a martyr's death. And yet, what I want to submit at this point is that a martyr's mindset is absolutely fundamental to what it means for any of us to serve as a Christian. Jesus Christ said in Luke eleven twenty six 26, these words, that if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And he goes on to say in Luke 11, verse 33, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What are are those words saying? Well, they are saying simply this, that if you are to be a Christian, it means that you cannot love anything else more than you love the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the choice comes, where, for example, if your family says that you cannot go to worship, you need to stop going to church and start spending more time with us, or, you need, uh, or or they say, I really wish you weren't a Christian, that when that choice comes, you have to say, my allegiance to Jesus is higher than my allegiance to my family. And I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, even if it means that some in my family want to turn away from me because of that. Well, in a similar way, just as we are to love Christ more than we love our own family, we are to love Christ more than we even love our own lives. That if the choice comes at some point where where somebody says uh, 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 to us that you need to renounce Jesus Christ or I am going to take your life, that as Christians, so the disciple of Christ has one appropriate response, and it is to say that Christ is more important to me than even my own life. And friends, that's the martyr spirit. It's that Christ demands everything. That to follow Jesus Christ means that He is now Lord, that I love Him even more than my own survival in this life. And so, dear friends, the Christian must not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. We need need to be willing to own His name. To be zealous for His cause. To profess adherence to His Word. In front of everybody, no matter how they respond, whether they are going to mock us, or exclude us, or even kill us. We are to be found on the side of of Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus says, Luke 9, 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in uh, in his glory and the glory of his Father and of his holy angels. In other words, we dare not be ashamed of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And so what I'm saying here is this, is that not every one of us is going to be called to be a martyr. Some of you perhaps might have to give up your life for the sake of Jesus Christ. But what I am saying is that each one of you must be willing to be a martyr if so called. Let me put it this way. and We can kind of double underline this. Martyrs are not some special class of holy Christians. Rather, they are simply Christians who have been set in especially hostile situations and have been faithful to the calling that is expected of every Christian, which is to own Christ no matter what. Okay? Martyrs are not some special class of especially holy Christians, but rather they are simply doing what is called of all of us as Christians which is to own the name of Jesus Christ, no matter what comes to us. And it's for that reason that it is no surprise that when we read Revelation 6-9, that there are martyrs who have given their life for the gospel. It's been true in every age of the church from the very beginning. Do you remember? From the very beginning, as it were, who was the first martyr? It was righteous Abel. Righteous Abel, who gave his own life uh, uh, when, when his life was taken by uh, Cain. Uh, and we can extend it even uh, throughout the Old Testament, even to the last of the prophets. Uh, Hebrews eleven thirty six 36-38 describe the experience of Old Testament men and women of faith. That throughout the Old Testament, some suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Well, what was true of those saints in the Old Testament, many of whom gave their life uh, for the cause of God, continues in the New Testament as well. That, of course, it was Jesus Christ who gave His life for us. But then following after Christ, in the New Testament church, we read in Acts chapter 8 of Stephen, who was, uh, who was stoned for his allegiance to Christ. Soon after that, in Acts chapter 12, we read of the Apostle James. And then tradition tells us that indeed each of the twelve apostles, except John, who was merely exiled to the island of Patmos, each of the other twelve apostles Gave, uh, died a martyr's death for the sake of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul himself would die uh, such a martyr's death as well. Uh, earlier in the book of Revelation, in those letters to the seven churches, we read in Revelation 2 and verse 13 that Antipas in Pergamum was a faithful witness who died. Indeed, throughout the early church during Uh, The reign of various Roman emperors like Nero and then Domitian. There were many other Christians who suffered uh, death. In the early church, Christians were often thrown to the lions. They were made sport of before uh, the crowds. Well, such persecution and martyrs' death did not stop with the early church. Think of the period of the Reformation. Uh, Thousands upon thousands of faithful Christians died uh, uh, a death. For example, uh, uh, John Fox wrote the book Fox's Book of Martyrs, the second best-selling book next to the Bible, and that recorded the death originally of faithful Christians under the reign of Wicked Queen Mary in England, known as Bloody Mary, who tried to stamp out the Protestant faith uh, in England. And they, and as well as Christians in many other lands, you can think of the Huguenots in in France or Christians in the Netherlands or many other places who gave their lives willingly for the sake of uh, Jesus Christ. They gave their lives so that we could have Reformation Christianity. And they would rather die than succumb to the errors of Catholicism. Friends, martyrdom is no less a feature of life in the 21st century as Christians than it is in these previous centuries. In fact, we are told that there have been more Christian martyrs in the last hundred years than in the previous, two, or previous 1900 years following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A lot of this is due to the atheistic uh, communist states that have arisen in the last hundred years, as well as with the rise of militant Islam our own day in places like North Korea, or northern Nigeria, or North Sudan, or Afghanistan, or Pakistan, or pockets of Indonesia, or Somalia, and friends, I could go on and on with the list. In many of these places, to be a Christian is to put your own life in constant jeopardy. It is estimated, actually that A Christian dies a martyr's death every five minutes that passes. In the course of today's sermon, that means eight or nine different Christians are going to die for their faith. Martyrdom is a reality in the world in which we live. And we are confronted with this question, do you, dear friends, have a martyr's spirit? Would you be willing to give up your own life rather than deny the name of Jesus Christ. And we need to put that that question to ourselves. Is Christ more important to me than anything else? And oh, he needs to be. And let me say this as well. You need to allow those who have given their lives as Christian martyrs to be a challenge and a rebuke in your own Christian faith. Are you thinking of giving up certain Christian doctrines like uh, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ or His penal substitutionary atonement or simple, biblical, faithful worship? Do you realize that there are Christians, countless thousands of Christians, who have died for the sake of those doctrines? Are you thinking about starting to skip out on church occasionally? There are Christians throughout the world today who are meeting in secret, hidden places where their lives might be taken from them because they are meeting together as a church of Jesus Christ. And would you, in a free society like ours, refuse to meet? You see what I'm saying? Allow those who are martyrs to challenge us in in our own Christian faith. Are you tempted to hide your Christianity at work or in your community around certain groups of people? Again, think of those who have not hidden their Christianity around those who might possibly take their lives for the sake of them being Christians. Friends, there are martyrs. Martyrs for the Christian faith. Might we have more of that martyr's spirit as well? That's the first thing, the the martyr's cause. Let's move on now. Secondly... Secondly, I want us to consider the martyr's cry. The martyr's cry. What are these glorified spirits of martyrs crying out in heaven? Verse 10 tells us that they cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long, uh, how long uh, before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. So it says that they have a loud cry. Uh, this speaks of the earnestness of what they are of, of their prayer to God. and what are they calling God? They, they, first of all, they call Him, "O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true." This is emphasizing God's power, His ultimate authority, the fact that He is righteous. And He always acts justly in the world. That no matter the evil and rebellion of this world, including the killing of Christians, there is a holy, just, and true God who reigns from His throne. But as they call upon the sovereign God, what is their concern? Well, they desire, they say, that the the blood of... uh, of of these Christians would be avenged on those who dwell on the earth. Now that phrase, those who dwell on the earth, is a phrase that indicates not all humanity, but rather humanity that is in rebellion against God. Those who are opposed to God's kingdom and to to God's purposes. And so it's uh, those who dwell on the earth as opposed to those whose citizenship is in heaven, as it were the martyr's desire, we are told here, the martyr's cry, is that the wickedness and rebellion against Jesus Christ and against Christ's church would not be allowed to go on forever. You know, when Christians are killed in this world, what does it look like with the naked eye? What it looks like is that perhaps that there is no God. After all, why weren't these Christians saved? It may look like that these Christians died in vain. What it looks like is that those who oppose Christianity are the ones who hold the real power in this world. That's what it looks like. And what these martyrs are simply crying is this, Oh God, for the sake of your own name and for your glory, Show yourself to be God. Cause the right to be vindicated. Don't allow rebellion against you and your church to be found victorious. What they are longing for and passionately desiring is to see God and His righteousness and His kingdom prevail. It's a good and holy desire that they have, it's more than just a cry for kind of a personal revenge. That's not what they're saying. You'll notice it's prayed, first of all, on behalf of the entire church. It's not just themselves. Notice as well that it is concerned with God's glory and and the honor of God above all other things. And what they are longing for is simply that wickedness and rebellion would not be exalted, but they long for the day when the majesty and the holiness, the sovereignty and the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ would be publicly revealed. In that sense, the martyr's cry is like a lot of those imprecatory psalms imprecatory in which the psalmist is crying out uh, for God to act and to judge those who are wicked. It is simply a desire that God's sovereignty and His truth would be vindicated. And that's what these martyrs desire. And I simply say that that cry that goes up from these martyrs' lips in heaven is a good cry that should go up from our lips as well. You know, you and I, like these martyrs, need to be aware of the fact that we have Christian brothers and sisters throughout this world who are persecuted and who are dying for their faith. And we dare not forget that. We should read, whether it's uh, uh, publications like Voice of the Martyrs or other things that make us aware of the plight of the persecuted church. Hebrews 13.3 tells us uh, to remember those who are in chains as if chained with them. That the thoughts of our Christian brothers and sisters in uh, throughout the world should not, uh, should not easily leave us. It should stir us deeply. And that means, on the one hand, that we ought to advocate for them. Okay? As we have levels of influence, urge uh, those who are leaders in our own country to recognize the plight of Christians in other places and to advocate uh, for, uh, for them. Write letters and uh, contact officials and so forth advocating for the cause of those who are persecuted. Dear friends, not only, should we do, not only should we advocate them, we should also, like these martyrs, cry out to God to long for this better world, to pray. On the one hand, to pray as Jesus did when He said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Or, or even what Stephen did when Stephen died, as he was being stoned, he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. We ought to pray for the salvation of, of those who are the persecutors, that Christ's enemies would become His friends. Pray for their salvation, but pray as well for the endurance of faithful Christians who are under extraordinary pressures. And friends, pray as well for the hastening of that coming day of judgment when injustice and cruelty and rebellion will be overturned and Christ and His Gospel will be magnified. Oh, friends, we ought to even pray, even as these martyrs in heaven pray. But this leads us into the third uh, the third point. We've seen the martyr's cause, the martyr's cry, but now third and finally, the martyr's uh, condition. We find this in verse 11. We're told that then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had uh, been. And so here they are given, as it were, an answer to their cry. Let me just make this point real quickly: is to notice that these, uh, the souls of these who had died, are in heaven. Okay, and so it reminds us that to die is to be present with the Lord and to have a conscious experience of the Lord, waiting our resurrection uh, bodies. And so these are in heaven. But then in heaven, uh, we are told what what these martyrs are receiving. The first is that they were each given a white robe. Now again, this is not a literal robe. They don't have their resurrection bodies yet. But this is a symbolic expression. And what does it symbolize? Well, it could symbolize... Uh, perhaps just the salvation that they've received in Jesus Christ. And the salvation of martyrs, like the salvation of each one of us, is a free gift, not earned, given by God's grace through Jesus Christ. Martyrs don't achieve merit for their deaths. They are saved by the grace of God alone, covered in Christ's perfect righteousness. But I think this white robe, even more than... Uh, the salvation that they've received probably indicates a uh, victory. Uh, uh, in, in the ancient world, a Roman, and I made mention of this last week under the first horsemen, Roman emperors wore white robes in their triumphal parades. So I think what's being said here is: who are the ones who are really victorious? Is it the Roman emperors, the persecutors of Christians? Or is it those who have died in the cause of Jesus Christ, bearing faithful testimony to Him? It is these martyrs who receive the white robes of victory. And they are told, after receiving these white robes, to rest a little longer. And this is the rest of refreshment, or the rest of blessing, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Of Revelation 14 uh, and verse 13 speaks of this rest. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, are those who die in the Lord from now on, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. It's the idea of a blessed rest that they have in the presence of God. They are satisfied in His presence. So they've received white robes. They are called to rest. But as they rest, what are they waiting for? Uh, we are told they are resting until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. What this is reminding us is this, that amidst all of the persecution that is found in this world, that the Lord Jesus Christ is on His throne. And He has an appointed number of people who are being saved, what we call the elect what the Scriptures call the elect. And every one of them is and must, or will and must be brought into His kingdom. And some of those are going to come into His kingdom by means of a martyr's death. And this is indicating that throughout Christian history, it will be the case that some will give their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ, And the Lord knows exactly that number. And that day of judgment will not come until the full number of the elect and the full number of those martyrs are being brought in. And friends, that is a comfort for us because it means that we are living still in the days of such waiting even now. And so though we see a world around us that is marked by war and by famine and pestilence, though we see a world that is marked by evil and by cruelty and by death, though we see a world in which it seems that the Christians have little power and the forces of darkness have a lot of power and are gaining power throughout the world, that, dear friends, not a thing is happening apart from the sovereign will of our God. And that amidst all of this wickedness and all of this terror, This world is also the stage in which the kingdom of Jesus Christ is expanding. And more and more people are being brought into that kingdom. And friends, the very means that this wicked world uses to stamp out Christianity, namely the killing of Christians, is the very means by which the Lord is continuing to expand His kingdom and build His church. What Tertullian said so many centuries ago is absolutely the case that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And Friends, we live in a day and age that is marked by tremendous wickedness, but we live in a day and age as well that ought to be matters for great encouragement. The gospel is being spread throughout all the world. And sinners are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Faithful preachers are being raised up. And there's not a place that you can go in this world today, even into some of the darkest places of this world, where you would not find other faithful believers in our Lord Jesus Christ who are worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. And friends, the full number of those for whom Christ died are going to be brought into His church. It's a glorious thought. And friends, soon, soon though it seems like a long time to us, and it does seem like a long time, with these martyrs to wait and to wait and to wait. But I tell you, and compared to the joy and the bliss that will be ours for all eternity, soon, soon that day is going to come when as we sing uh, as well, from from earth's widest bounds and from ocean's farthest coast, through gates of pearl will stream in the countless host, singing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Alleluia. And the full number of His elect have been brought in, and the church of Jesus Christ will be glorified. Oh, what a day that is going to be. So what can I say to you now? Commit yourself afresh to Jesus Christ and to His cause in the world. And when you are tempted to be discouraged, to be discouraged by the godless world around you, or to be discouraged by the troubles and trials of your own life, remember this, that the Lord is on his throne, and I am simply called to this, to be faithful to him unto death. I will be faithful to the Lord unto death. I will own his name. I will serve him. I will seek to kill sin. I will seek to... Speak of my Lord to those that I come into contact with, and I will do so unto death. Well, might the Lord help each one of us to do just that. Let's pray together. Lord, our God in heaven, we do thank you indeed for this account of the martyr's cause, of the martyr's cry, and of the martyr's condition. Lord, our God, we, thank, we are thankful that the souls of those faithful martyrs who have gone before us are now under your sovereign care. And we thank you as well that indeed in your perfect timing, their cry and our cry for the vindication of your name will indeed be fulfilled. O oh Lord, encourage us by these truths, we pray. And Lord, we do pray that we would remember those who are in chains and those who are being killed for the sake of Jesus Christ. We thank you for their testimony and for their example. And Lord, we pray for that same spirit that they have to be in us as well, that we would love absolutely nothing, not our possessions, not the honor and smiles of this world, that we would love nothing, more than what we than uh, than uh, our love for Jesus Christ, Lord, do that work such a spirit in us. We pray. And we do pray all of this now. in Jesus' name, uh, Amen.